Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. And it was with The Telegraph that myself, David Law, went along to see a former world number one, Mr. Leighton Hewitt, who is going to be back here at the Fever Tree Championships at the Queen's Club to play doubles with Nick Kyrgios, aged 37 years of age these days, Leighton. He's done it all in the game, and we just couldn't wait, Charlie Eccleshare and myself, to sit down with him and ask him about anything we could think of. Here it is. So, Leighton, here you are, 37 years of age. You've been world number one. You've won Wimbledon. You've won Queen's four times. You've won the US Open. And you're in Surbiton. What on earth are you doing? Yeah, it's been uh, 20 years since I've been back here too. So I uh, only ended up playing here once uh, in singles and it uh, didn't go as well as I would have hoped back then. Um, then obviously, you know, if you do well at the French Open, then you, know, you don't get the opportunity to come back and play Surbiton uh, that often. But it's good to be back. I'm uh, going to play a bit of doubles this week with a young Australian, Alex Bolt. He's actually from South Australia as well, where I'm from. And... Um, no, it's, uh, I've played a little bit of doubles this year. I played at the Australian Open with Sam Groth, who was a good mate of mine, and uh, no, I really enjoyed getting out there and obviously playing with some of these other Australians, and you know, I still feel like I'm capable to go out there and, and play with the best guy, especially on the doubles court. I, I saw a tweet recently. It, it, it tickled me a little bit, and it was meant with affection towards you, but, the, but it said that you were perhaps the worst retiree that they'd ever seen in anything because you stopped playing the game a couple of years ago and here you are still getting out there what what is it about this sport that you can't leave alone yeah i don't know and i enjoy playing the game and i guess when i retired especially it was probably more so from singles um doubles i didn't play that much doubles throughout my career um and then i've actually enjoyed it when i've been out there and playing and i still hit a lot with a lot of the aussie guys obviously in my role as davis cup captain for australia as well so, um, yeah, I, I'm still a competitive guy when I get out in the court. And, um, you know, especially playing the Australian Open this year was a lot of fun with Grothy. So um played with Alex Diminar in Estoril as well and we were able to beat a quality pair um, there in the first round. And, um, no, it's, enjoy- it's still enjoyable for me to go out there and travel. And, you know, when you are retired, you're retired for an awfully long time. So I guess, you know, while my body's still 
able and, and mentally I'm willing to go out there and, and train and still stay in good shape, um, yeah, I might as well go out there and have it a go. Are you going to play Queens, which, I mean, is a place that we, we Charlie and I are here, we're, we're just talking about old video we saw of, of you in the semis in 99 against Pete and then beating him the year later. I mean, it's been a long history in that time. I mean, it's 20 years ago when you were first walked through the gates and you're going to get out there again. Okay, not singles, but but doubles. Yeah, no, I love Queens. It's one of my favourite tournaments of the year. Always has been. Um, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to have won it four times. It was always a special place for me. And as you said, to play against guys like Pete Sampras and to actually hold up the trophy against such a quality grass court player. And at the time, he was arguably the greatest player of all time as well. So um, for me, I've got so many great memories of playing uh, at Queens. Um, you know, for me, it's going to be nice to get back there and, and get on. Those grass courts are as good as any. I've always said it uh, around the world, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to go out there with Nick, obviously another Australian, uh, an exceptional talent and one of uh, my Davis Cup players. What you got to ask him, Charlie? Well, I was wondering, does a part of you still watch the singles and think, uh, I could do that? Uh, at times, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I still can go out there and, you know, I can still hit pretty well um i kind of surprised myself i know it was only tie breaks at the start of the year but i played in the tie break 10s uh in melbourne and actually knocked novak off in the first match and <laughs> lost a very tight match to rafa but that was a lot of fun to go out there and still compete against those guys in some kind of format that i was uh capable of uh not making an embarrassment of myself do you think do you think you're addicted to this sport uh oh i guess in some ways i i think any player though that loves the game as well and you know I, I love competing there's no doubt about that you know I think I prided myself on being one of the better competitors throughout my career and it's probably got me over the line in a lot of big matches as well so I don't think you ever lose that competitiveness um, so it just changes and you do different things to to get that buzz I guess in a lot of ways and you know I play over 35s basketball in Melbourne on a Wednesday night out in the <laughs> in the suburbs and you know it's competitive but it, it gets the juices flowing you know, it's a different way of doing it, but you know, I still get fired up and enjoy going out there and playing. And this is obviously in a, a slightly different situation. I imagine, Leighton, you can therefore relate to what some of the current players have been going through of late. We've seen Novak Djokovic have to take six months off. He's now back, thankfully. And Andy Murray is still a year on struggling to get out there. Yeah, no, and it's tough. And it's not just physically, it's more mentally. You know, because you, you know that you're still capable of going out there and playing great tennis but you just can't quite get over the line to be able to do it day in day out and be pain free um, and that's where it becomes more a mental battle and uh, you know I've spoken to Andy a few times uh, since he had the operation and um, yeah it's been tough for him to try and get back and, and you know he's been such a great champion of the sport and he's done so much for for Great Britain um, yeah it'd be nice to, that he can hopefully get some grass court matches leading into Wimbledon again because he's always a danger and a threat at that tournament but um, yeah it's not easy for those guys and we've slightly seen a changing of the guard but then you have Roger and Rafa that are the two exceptions as well and obviously Rafa's come back from certain injuries throughout his career but it, you know, it's remarkable how, how uh, the longevity of Roger's career has been. I'm right in thinking you, you had a 
similar or at least a hip injury of your own did, did yours require surgery yeah i had both my hips uh two different surgeries um they probably weren't as uh full-on as probably andy's i'd say um from what i know um but yeah i had my left hip done in uh 2008 and then i had my right hip done about 2010 so for me to come back i actually felt pretty good when i did come back um but yeah you do have to do a lot of rehab and it's a lot of a lot of long hours that people don't see behind the scenes and that's the grueling part of you know being a professional athlete and coming back from serious injuries yeah no i think that's you know it's really interesting to hear especially with all that andy's going through at the moment we were talking as well before about the kind of the davis cup side of things and you're probably one of the players most synonymous with the competition and just wanted to talk about the kind of possible reforms and what you see for the future of that tournament well i think the the new reforms will kill it (laughs) i i don't think there's a doubt about it um it's uh it would purely be a totally new event it's not the davis cup so there'd be no point calling it the davis cup um but you cannot throw over 100 years history down the drain for money you know players don't play it for money they play it because they get the opportunity to represent their country and they play it because of the history that players, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I come from a, a very strong country with a lot of great history and tradition um, and it would be a shame just to be throwing that away in, in my point of view. Um, if you actually look at the numbers of the guys that played this year in the Davis Cup, they've all played. You know, it's only Roger that hasn't. Um, it, all the other guys have played, all the big names. Uh, we've got to start looking to that next generation of players. They have all played uh, this year in the Davis Cup, and I think that shows where the importance of of it. Uh, the two biggest things for me that sex aside, sets aside the Davis Cup from any other event, even Grand Slams, is the home and away aspect and the best of five-set tennis. They're, they're the two things. And, you know, I was just thinking the other day when I saw Andy and, and uh, when we played in Glasgow in the Davis Cup, you know, that was one of my last Davis Cup matches. Um, it was, we were playing away from home and it was one of the most enjoyable uh, atmospheres I've ever played tennis in front of. It, it was incredible. To, and, and for players, and, and it's about the youngsters, you know, having a goal of representing their country and being in those positions because, you know, a guy like Alex Diminar that we're looking after now, you know, we can fast track him through uh, because he's been to a lot of Davis Cup ties. And then you see how he played against Alexander Zarev uh, in January, uh, losing 7 6 in the fifth set. Now, that's an epic. If you go back to best of three ten- sets tennis in Davis Cup, that doesn't happen. The home and away aspect doesn't happen. Um, I think it's time we start looking at what those young guys need and, and to get them through and I think it would be unfair for them not to have the, the opportunities and experiences that I've had um, because you know I've won majors, I've been in finals but some of my biggest memories are a Davis Cup and, and it's not even just the semis and finals of Davis Cup. You know, For me beating uh, Gustavo Curtin down in Brazil was uh, you know one of the best moments of my life and that was a quarter final of a Davis Cup tie so um, it's certain things money can't buy and, and that's one of them Would you do anything with it? Oh, like? I think there's things to you could slightly change I've always said I think the two finalists deserve a buy the following year whether it's every two years as well that's been a possibility I've spoken about this for 20 years though you know we made the final four out of five years when I first came on the tour Um we were throwing it up then and the ITF threw it back in our face. So, you know, I just think we need we need better people running uh, the sport in terms of the ITF at the moment um, and I don't think they have enough knowledge and we just can't sell our soul for, for this event, that's all. Hmm. Do you find um, 
you obviously have this immense passion for Davis Cup as a player. Do you get a feeling that your players kind of share that passion, the young Australian guys that you work with? Yeah, 100%. Um, one of the toughest things I've ever had to do is tell guys that they're not they're going to miss out they're either going to be the fifth player or this year the sixth player and they're actually not going to be in a tie and and that's just a first round tie I had to do it last year in a semi-final tie and that's the toughest thing that I have in my you know I I don't mind going out there and losing in the team environment because I know my guys lay it on the line they give me 100% every time they step on the court The, the hard thing for me is actually confronting them in a room and saying mate it hasn't gone your way, you're going to miss out. And to see their faces, yeah, yeah, it means something. You know, this is, they're not playing for money. You know, they, they want to be out there representing the green and gold. And, and that's something that makes me proud because you know, that's what the competition's about. I was fortunate enough to have guys like John Newcomb, Tony Roach, these guys instill that in me at a young age. And, you know, if you get Alex Diminar now, mate, he, you know, he'll do anything to go and play Davis Cup for Australia. And, and that's how we want guys. And, and you know, you, you can't tell me the last time Valencia between Germany and Spain. If that wasn't good for our sport, then I don't know what is. That was the most entertaining three days of tennis that I've seen in a long time. Uh, that's with the middle day just being a doubles match and it's still entertaining. you just got to look at Rafael Nadal standing on the sidelines and the emotions that he's riding. You can't tell me that he you know, doesn't care about Davis Cup. Um, so in a lot of ways, I think the people that try and make these decisions and changes, um, they have... Uh, other ideas that they've never been through before. They don't understand what a player's um, situation in this competition and what it means to go out there and play for your country. Have you ever discussed this with any of your American counterparts? Because a couple of other people that I think we all really respect, I'm sure you do as well, you've commentated with them in Andy Roddick and Jim Courier have a different view. that They, they do feel that it needs to, to be a, a one-off a one-off standalone event perhaps maybe you do have some home and away leading up to it but but they have a different view yeah no we disagree i think in those things um you know they're entitled to their opinion um but it's certainly from the people that i've spoken to not the majority uh there's a few and and for whatever reasons it may be um but for me the two biggest things and i can't go away from that is the home and away tie um, if you just go to a final and even if you have the first rounders home and away, a team like France, for example, or Spain, who are making the semi-finals, what, five out of every eight years, something like that, they're hardly going to get a home and away tie. They're not going to get a home and away tie played in their country. Now, if that's the best thing for their sport and their country, then you know, then I obviously don't know much. Um, but in Australia, if we look at it, we have the one month of tennis. Um, for our next kids coming through, we actually wanted to get them to come and watch great tennis, you know, the, the best tennis, and, and that's in Davis Cup. Uh, and we would lose that by not having home and away ties. You've obviously taken on this role with Australia, and it's fair to say it's a pretty challenging one with some of the personnel involved, but you seem to be able to get the best out of Nick Kyrgios. Can you just talk through what it's like working with him? Because he looks like such a fascinating personality from the outside. Uh, yeah, I, well, I deal with him in certain ways, I guess. You know, Nick's his own guy, though, and, and on the tour. And, um, yeah, he doesn't like to commit to a lot of coaches and, and teams around him, but I'm obviously there at tournaments and happy to help out where possible. Um, at Davis Cup, he's been fantastic for me. Uh, you know, last year, some of the matches that he won, I feel like we have a great relationship. We have a mutual respect for each other. Um I played alongside him in Davis Cup as well, which I think helps me understand the pressures and demands and what actually he goes through. Um, yeah, he, he's certainly different how he handles 
things um, but that can be a positive as well as a negative sometimes so there's still certain areas of his game that he's got to work on he's got to become a little bit more disciplined with his rehab and looking after his body because the last thing we want to see is him out for the last three or four months which he's been dealing with an elbow issue so uh, he's an extraordinary talent though um, he's going to have a yeah. He's already close to getting in the top 10, but you know, he, he's destined for that, but he's still got to work hard and keep pushing himself. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. You were late and talking earlier on about Pete Sampras. You also touched on, on Rafael Nadal. I, I, I just want to, here we are entering second week of the French Open. The guy's won 10 of these things and he's still going. I remember you playing him. I, I, I can't remember how long ago, five, six years ago. I remember you playing him there and I think you played him as well on the tour on Claire and you actually caused him some problems as well. But just, just give us an idea of what it is like to face that game. Yeah, well, on clay, he's the greatest clay court player ever we've ever seen. Um, yeah, I think everyone talks about you know, his forehand and how heavy it is, and, and those conditions and court surface of Roland Garros certainly suit him and his game, um, but he's a competitive beast. 
you know, in over five sets, that's where the best players get the most out of themselves. And, and he trains the house down. He gets his body in as good a nick as anyone out there. And he doesn't give you an inch. And for someone to go out there and actually win three out of five sets against him in those conditions is, is you know, nearly impossible. And we've seen that. There's only been a couple of guys that have been able to do it over his 13-year career at Roland Garros. So it's a credit to him. He's one of my favourite players to watch. I love how he goes about it. Uh, he's so humble with everything he's done. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to, to witness, you know, it's in an era that we've been able to witness this guy and how good he is. And, you know, he's a great ambassador for our sport as well. And, and we'll probably never see someone, you know, going for 11, you know, or more French Opens. You know, certainly not in our lifetime. I was going to say, I mean, you, you almost feel like you were describing yourself in a way of the competitive nature of him. Is do you, did you ever find yourself looking down the other end and thinking, "Crikey!" I mean, I, you know, I'm intense. This is this is a, a little bit what it's like to play to play me and and on clay then some. Oh uh, yeah, well I think so in some ways. You know, I prided myself on having a never say die attitude, always giving a hundred percent, and I think Rafa does that. He does it. Uh, as well as I've ever seen anybody. Uh, he purely plays tennis on a point-by-point point situation. It doesn't matter if it's match point or if it's the first point of the match. Uh, he's playing every point like it's his last point on earth, and, and that's why he's so tough to play. Um, he stays positive. He stays collected out there, um, but also he's, he's a physical beast as well. You know, It's very hard to wear him out over five sets on clay, and that's the advantage he carries over a lot of people. And He wins a lot of matches at Roland Garros, purely on you know his locker room presence you know a lot of guys are half beaten before they go out there to play him how did those blokes beat him Soderling oh. Djokovic well, Soderling hit him off the court um he had an on day um you know who knows with Rafa's body at the time how that was holding up that particular year uh but Soderling purely came out and hit him off the court you know he he had to red line everything and they all went in and uh, Novak was playing exceptional tennis though uh when he did it uh, he was able to beat him in some of the Masters Series tournaments leading into the French as well that year. Uh, but Novak was by far the best player on all four surfaces at that time. Um, I think Novak's backhand was the one thing that stood up against Rafa's forehand like nobody else has been able to do. Just talking about that passion, where f- for you did that come from, that passion on court? What, what drove you to that level of intensity and sort of never-say-die attitude? Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of it's not just on court. It's in everything I do. You know, I think if I was playing Australian rules football, it'd be exactly the same. Um, you know, whatever I'm training for, I give a hundred percent. So I think that's just my personality. That's what's instilled in me, uh, and it comes out on the tennis court. But um, for me, I just always wanted to push myself to see how good you could become you know it didn't matter if I was injured even you know I still wanted to get as much out of myself at that that stage in my career um so it was about seeing you know how far I could push the boundaries but you know I enjoy doing the hard work and trying to get better do you ever watch the old tapes any old tapes of your old matches I haven't seen a lot obviously you see highlights and now with social media and stuff things pop up here and there I actually haven't watched a lot of uh replays of of my big matches um, the most I've probably seen highlights of was when I came back from two sets and a breakdown against Federer at that Davis Cup uh, semi-final in Melbourne in 2003, purely because I think people were intrigued by it with myself in Davis Cup, but also that it was against Roger as well. What do you remember of that? I mean, could you tell then what he would become? Because I remember you, you had the upper hand against him a lot early on. 
Um, yeah, you probably didn't know how good he was going to become at that stage. He was obviously an extraordinary talent. Uh, he'd just won his first Wimbledon as well, leading into that Davis Cup tie. So you knew he was a quality player that was going to win multiple majors. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone thought he was going to turn out as good as, as he's been, but uh, he's been able to look after his body as well, so well. He plays smart schedules now as he gets older, which I think you know has prolonged his career to try and win more majors. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. How hard is it for you then, given your attitude on court, when you see someone like Bernard Tomic maybe not giving absolutely everything out there? How do you kind of reconcile that? Uh, with Bernie it's pretty frustrating you know because he is talented um, and he has a great opportunity you know it's not this is a great life that you have playing on the ATP tour and playing in big events and people paying good money to come and watch you play and um, you know so that's frustrating obviously you know because he is a talented guy Um, he had his success at a very young age as well Um, but you know there's a reason why he hasn't been able to take that next step and and, you know that comes back to him and and his will to go out there and get better and uh, to push himself and up until now he's, he's not prepared to do that is he sort of still in the mix for Davis Cup if he were to apply himself again and you know really really go for it properly oh that's a big if right now he's not even close that must make you then like what you see with the young chap you, you, you're guiding at the moment, Alex Dimonor. I mean, there were there were moments for what we were just watching. It felt like we could have been 18 years ago watching this kid deal with this guy, attacking, lobbing, returning, passing. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's got great defensive skills. He's very quick out there as well. Um, he likes he knows how to play on a grass court. He made the final at Junior Wimbledon only two years ago. Lost to Shapovalov in three sets. Uh, and he's a good kid. He wants to learn. He wants to improve. Um, he'll push himself every day in the in the gym on the practice court. Um, he's a great kid to work with. So for me, it's been. Uh, it's been great seeing his development, especially you know, early on this year, that self-belief that he could go out there and do it against quality players and the guys that he beat, Milos Raonic in Brisbane. Uh, he backed it up by making the final of uh, Sydney where he lost a very tight one to Medvedev there. And um, He's gone from strength to strength, so he's a kid that you know, he's going to have a, a long, bright future um, and I'm lucky that he's playing for me for Australia. Final one from me. Charlie may have a couple more. I just wanted to ask, you mentioned Shapovalov there. What do you make of him? Yeah, he's a quality player. Um, you know, how good he's going to be, you know, still not 100% sure, but uh, he's good. He's good on all surfaces as well. Um, big lefty game, um, moves well, great energy. Um, I think he's going to be a bit of an entertainer for the sport as well. Um, so we need those young guys coming through. Obviously, the rev now is, is the real deal in that top top five as the young guys, but that next group sort of pushing towards him and, and uh, Shapovalov's certainly one of those. Yeah, a few more. I was just wondering um, how your year kind of divides itself what with Davis Cup, spot playing, Dimonor and various other commitments as well. Um, oh, well, the biggest thing, you know, Davis Cup role... You know, it takes a few weeks of the year, really. Uh, but I spend a lot of time back at home hitting with a lot of these guys, uh, helping with a lot of their pre-season training as well down in Melbourne, uh, getting ready for the Aussie summer to hopefully 
have a good start to the year and get off on the right note. Um, so they're probably, for me, my two biggest things that I try and concentrate on. Um, and then outside of that, when they do come back, they're always calling me up to get out on the court and hit with them. So I spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, and that's just not just the Davis Cup players. There's a lot of guys that are in this tournament, actually, that come back and, and want to hit and know that I can still you know, hit well with them. So, um, no, I do a lot of that. But also, you know, for me playing, I guess that keeps my eye in. And then, you know, in terms of travelling, a lot depends on the schedules of the Davis Cup as well and where we're playing ties and stuff. But, you know, I always look to try and come to the grass court season as much as possible. I lied. I've just remembered your son. I've seen your son carrying a racket and hitting a few. Does he fancy it? Uh, yeah, he likes tennis. He plays tennis and Australian football as well back home. Um, yeah, he's only nine at the moment, but uh, give him a bit of time. No, he's he's enjoying. It. He enjoys all sports, so he loves it. So um, no, it's nice to get out there. And uh, yeah, he gets coached by John McCurdy, who was a guy in Melbourne that um, took me away on some junior trips and stuff. And then I sort of just get out there. And he wants to play points and stuff with me. So yeah, we have a bit of fun. I imagine you would never let him win. Uh, no, not too often. Uh, sometimes he gets me in a couple of breakers, but yeah, I won't hear at the end of it. And just looking back at your own career, it's um, is it kind of do you look back most fondly on that early period? You know, you had so much so soon, and then obviously, you know, you still then had Davis Cup wins and all of that. How tough was it to have been number one, to have been the two-time major champion, and then all of a sudden these two guys come along in Roger and Rafa, the two greatest guys of all time, and suddenly the landscape completely shifted? Uh, it wasn't that tough, like because for me it was about preparing and giving myself the best opportunity every tournament that I went into. Um, yeah, Roger obviously cleaned up there for... Uh, a long time in those Grand Slams and then Rafa came along and it was kind of the two of them competing for most of the majors um, you, know, you know if it was in a different era maybe where Roger wasn't there, you know, myself, Andy Roddick Ferrero, Safin, these kind of guys may have got a few more um, but yeah, I went out, gave 100%, did everything that I possibly could have. Uh, the second half of my career was probably tougher with injuries and surgeries that I had, uh, especially probably the foot surgery was probably the toughest to come back from. Um, but once again, I just I enjoyed going out and competing and, and playing. And, and when I had those surgeries, and it would be like, much like Murray, I'm sure, at the moment, you realise how much you miss it, you know, how much you actually do love the sport. Are there any sort of moments that stand out for you particularly in any regrets that you have from from your career uh not regrets no um yeah as a kid growing up you'd do anything to win a slam get to number one you know and win a davis cup for me and i was fortunate to, to two or three um so there, there's no regrets you know and i think I'm the kind of guy that you know, left it all out there as well, so then it's a lot easier to live with yourself, I think, and what you've done, um, purely because you, you are in control of your own destiny. So, This is something David and I both feel strongly about. We, lo- we love aggro in, in tennis, and your matches had a lot of it. It was fantastic. I remember there was a Correa-Davis Cup match. Uh, yeah. It was just brilliant. Is, are players too nice nowadays? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, there's certain matches I think that you know get stirred up. I saw one in Miami earlier this year with a couple of young guys, and um, yeah, it, it just depends on what happens out on the court and situations. Um, yeah, I guess back in the day we had McEnroe and other guys that you know everyone had the love-hate relationship with. Um, yeah, in some ways times change, I guess, in certain ways, but um, yeah, I think there's still a lot of entertainment out there. 
you make sure that your players have enough of an edge to sort of, you know, that competitive spirit without, I guess, kind of overstepping the mark? Um, yeah, I, I, you don't try and control them that much in terms of put them in a box because all of them, and you see the likes of Nick compared to Alex Dimonar, the personalities are so different and how they prepare for matches and tournaments is so different. Um, and so that's one thing that you, you work with them and you don't actually work against them to try and control them in certain ways um, because then you're actually taking away some of their strengths. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about knowing your players, I think, and their personality, what makes them tick, what motivates them, what drives them, um, and then trying to work with that. Okay, so Australia winning the Davis Cup or you and Nick winning at Queen's next week, which, which would you go for? Uh, sorry, but I'd have to take uh, the Davis Cup. It's <laughs> all right, no offence. Sorry. <laughs> we could lose in the final, but no, no. Okay. Um, yeah, the Davis Cup obviously means something, and I think it would be pretty special to lead a, another group of young guys. Um, yeah, just the enjoyment they'd get about doing it in a team environment. You know, the other thing that... You know, you talk about the Davis Cup changes. The one thing that people that sit in boardrooms and committees and make these decisions, one of the great things about Davis Cup is having your own locker room. You know, being in a locker room just with your teammates. You know, that's something we don't do all year as tennis players. You know, you're actually sitting next to your opponent most times you go out there. Davis Cup's not like that. You know, you don't actually see your opponent like a football match until you're out there. Uh, If you put it all in one week, that doesn't happen. It will never happen. You, know, you can't have 80 to 100 guys sitting in different locker rooms. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the th- little things that people that sit making these decisions that have never played the game or represented their country wouldn't have a clue about. Leighton, no it's been worries. a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.